everyone and welcome to His Film, Her Movie. I'm Jordan. And I'm Lauren. And together we are the <coughs> podcast that answers the question, to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love? In every episode we choose a different cinematic topic and then each choose one film that exists within the bounds of that topic. So Lauren. Yes. What is our topic this week? This one is post-apocalyptic. Yes. Mm. It's like I went wrong whilst we were watching our film after all of our feminists. <laughs> Luckily, my film was both. Yeah. So, <laughs> imagine if I picked the wrong film, you'd be like, what are you doing? How? <laughs> how, how does this go in with the topic? <laughs> but, yeah, post-apocalyptic, it's probably not the best subject to do whilst we're coming out of a pandemic, but... <laughs> it opens up some interesting avenues of discussion. It does, it does. So what <clears throat> have you chosen for your film? I picked the 2015 George Miller uh, epic Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, and I chose 1979's Stalker from the Russian master Andrei Tarkovsky. Yes. <laughs> hear the trepidation in your voice already <laughs> it was nearly three hours it was nearly three hours we had to watch it over two days we did we did but <laughs> we can get into that before we get into the the heart of the show as we do nowadays we like to talk about what have we been watching what's been keeping us entertained over the last seven days to a week so what have you been watching you've been enjoying you got me to watch ted lasso <laughs> and we binge watched it in a weekend and now I'm really sad because there's no more episodes until what? July? 23rd of July, yeah. Oh. It's one of those where I think it just hit like at the right moment. Yes. I mean, I, I'm not a huge Jason Sudeikis fan, but I don't know, his unwavering optimism, I think just strikes such a chord, especially... Again, after this year, after this last 18 months, and it's just... Well, his, his fiancé left him for Harry Styles. Well, that's in real life. Yeah, but like... <laughs> it's not in the show. Yeah, but like, I feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah, but I, I, I just love him as a character. Oh, yeah, Ted, like, the thing is, you love football, and I hate football, so I'd always been like, oh, I'm not going to watch this, because it's like football and all this. Do you know what? I really, really enjoyed it. See, the fact that um, Lasso from Footballers' Wives yeah. was in it as the manager, I just thought was brilliant. I just feel like all she plays is Footballers' Wives. Well, she was in Game of Thrones. She was in Game of Thrones, but I know her. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, yeah, I am a fan of football, but that, I think, gives me the predilection of not liking football things because okay. you, you kind of look at the football and the football <clears throat> parts of this show aren't great, but it's the characters and it's the situations and it's the personalities on the show that I think really do shine. Oh, definitely. And it's each episode and it's, as I say, it's every episode is like a nice 30 minute therapy session. It was, it was so lovely. You did really explain a few football things to me. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't really understand why they were getting all het up about certain things. Um, but it has, it has, um, do you know? Temple. Do you know Temple? Love her. I think she's great. 
just I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good show to watch. It was so easy. It was mm. so feel good. And then it ended. And I want to wait till July. If you want to wait another couple of months, but it will be back. It's actually got two seasons. We got renewed renewed for two more seasons, so at oh, least we've got a good. third season as well. Anything else you've been watching? No, just just the usual. We started watching that Son of Sam. We did on Netflix. <clears throat> um, so far, so good. Yeah. Um, you, we like serial killers. We like true crime. I love crime. a serial killer. I love true crime. I love fake crime. <laughs> fake crime. Yeah, so like I'm, I'm still watching Bones. That's oh, fake God. crime. Yes, it is fake crime. It's very fake crime. Very, very fake crime. But I kind of <laughs> love it. It's so weird. So, so since we've last recorded, I've actually watched quite a few films, but I'm only going to talk about a couple. First up is 1985's Runaway Train. Now, this is Andrei Konchalovsky's film that was adapted from a idea of a screenplay by Akira Kurosawa. And so John Voight did it, and it's got Eric Roberts. Is these two criminals who escape from prison mm-hmm. get onto a train to to escape, and then realize that the the driver of the train collapses off it with a heart attack, and they have no way of stopping it. Is it funny? No. Because it sounds like it could be funny. It is. So I had heard very very little about this movie, <clears throat> and it is wonderful. It is haunting and thrilling and I mean it's got John Void is part of this part of Hollywood that were once great mm-hmm. but have now become it's for example it's like, like the James Wood syndrome they were great in the 70s great in the 80s mm-hmm. and now they're just right wing nut jobs yeah and I, you feel bad for watching things when they're in them and enjoying them because they are talented people that turned out to be... Awful people. Yeah, personally. Yeah. Um, but like I said, Eric Roberts in this is <clears throat> wonderful. I mean, they both got um, Oscar nominations for it. I mean, to be honest, Eric Roberts probably should have won. Mm-hmm. He is superb in this movie. But it's just, it's paced within an inch of its life. Um, it's got some really great momentum to it, mm-hmm. given that's a runaway train. But <laughs> and, and it has one of the best final shots Truly haunting final shots that mm-hmm. I've seen in a long, long time. The next up is, watch David Byrne's True Stories. Now, David Byrne is the lead singer of Talking Heads. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a weird little movie. It, it, it's a musical, obviously, with the music of, of Talking Heads mm-hmm. um, within it, but obviously original music that they came up with, or David Byrne came up with. But it's about this fictional town in Texas. And it's at equal measure a parody of the people you would likely meet in the sort of small town, southern American, like, landscapes. Yeah. But also a heartfelt letter to them. So at points you maybe feel like it's poking fun a bit with the stereotypes and the characterizations, but at the same time, it's done with such a sweet angle and a, a sweetness to it that mm-hmm. really, really um, struck a chord with me. And I mean, you've got Talking Heads. I'm a huge Talking Heads fan, so you've got some really, really good music within it. And yeah, it's one of those, it's, it's 
only 90 minutes long. It's superb. The other one I watched was 1999 The Mummy. Why didn't you get me to watch that with you? <laughs> I think it was early on one morning. Oh, um, so, yeah, I'm never going to be away for that. No. Was that the weekend that I absolutely totally slept in? It probably was. So, yeah, this is the Stephen Sommers uh, remake of The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss. Brendan Fraser. And he is the one thing you've got to, like the shining spark of this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because his pseudo Indiana Jones vibe that he has works so well. He is that perfect tone for that character. Oh, definitely. And you can, you can see him riffing on Harrison Ford. You can see how movie stars or TV stars, such as like Nathan Fillion, Chris Pine, mm-hmm. really got his stick of like really handsome, could make fun of themselves, mm-hmm. but deliver an action sequence. Do you know what? I think like the poor guy got like so badly injured and everything and had to go through physio. And I honestly feel like if he hadn't have done that, he would have been like that era's like rock. Mm. Like the rock has come on and done like the Jumanji films and like kids films and voice actor and did all kinds of stuff. And I feel like Brendan Fraser would have been like the early noughties version of that. He would have been like the original version of that because like I said, he was really good looking. He was funny. Mm. He was like the rock's not the best actor and Nicola, and he's not like the best actor mm. either but they're good enough to be like they're having a good time with it and they take you along for a good uh, time with it absolutely and the thing is like Brendan Fraser has <clears throat> been good I mean Gods and Monsters yeah, he was with the name Ian McKellen when Ian McKellen plays James Whale mm-hmm. um, the old film director he's wonderful in that movie he's very subdued whereas yeah, it, it, it's that typecast thing where he did make a few bad movies and then obviously injuries happened and then... I hope you're not talking about the Looney Tunes part two. Cause... I, to be honest, I haven't seen that movie. But... Oh, it's such a great movie. He plays his own stuntable <laughs> and then punches himself in the face. Right. But, but and then the injuries happened and then obviously how he had the scandal with, um, well, him being fondled by one of the... Highest execs in, in Hollywood. And then his wife divorced him and took him literally for every penny that he ever made. Yeah, and it's just it's just a shame because he had so much charisma, and especially in I think the mummy was kind of his highest point. Because he'd done George of the Jungle, I think. He had done George of the Jungle. And I love the fact that for a kid's film, they just put him in a pair of pants. Yeah. That was a kid's it. film for the mums. Absolutely it was. It was a great film. And that's it. I think the mummy has so many good moments in it. I mean some of the special effects still hold up. Some of them mm-hmm. don't, but you expect it for something that's 22 years old. But yeah, it is it is a really, really entertaining time. Doesn't really have status welcome. Gets in, gets out. And yeah, it's it, it's fantastic. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about was, just very shortly, um, a Netflix original called Love of Monsters. Yes. Um, which... I quite enjoyed. It's very lightweight. It's very floaty, but it's got a nice, cute heart to it. Mm-hmm. Um, some good character design. But the Netflix film I want to talk about mostly is The Mitchells versus the Monsters. Oh my god! Sorry, The Mitchells versus the Machines. Machines. It's such a good film. 
I thoroughly enjoyed watching that movie. It was a perfect, we watched it on a Sunday afternoon. We're both kind of... No, do well. not, don't you dare say that I was hungover. I was not hungover. Who had been drinking tequila and whiskey the night before? That was me. So yeah, I was there lying on a sofa and then this came on. I had and the cat. It was great. And it just had such a nice style to it, that hand-drawn but animated style. It, it was, was a really weird, because like, there'll be parts of like, They'd have their face, like maybe a certain sort of style, but then the hair would be really mm. textured. But it, like it, very, you know, like, kind of spider versey. Yeah. In the way things used to come out and like bang or mm-hmm. electrics, um, like lightning bolts and things like that. Yeah. But I love the dynamic of the family. I love the voice cast were all superb. I would literally watch it again tonight. Mm. It was that good. There'd be bits that you'd be able to watch back and be like, I missed that bit the first time around. Great energy to it. It was one of the first films in a long time that, I watched just out of pleasure that mm. I didn't want to look at my phone. Yeah. Because it was great. Well, the thing is, it was, it was great visually because it, it had all the colours and all different styles, but it was a nice mm-hmm. story with good characters. Yeah. And it also had that thing of, a nice little theme of, let's stop looking at our phones. <laughs> yes, it did have that theme. I did love the whole... Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs character. Yeah. And so I don't know, we were laughing about this, but the perfect family. Yeah. I want to shake the casting director's hand for the fact that the mum and dad of the perfect family was Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, literally the perfect family. <laughs> just them in it. I just thought that's such a nice, like, little fun thing. And I yeah. actually, I hadn't heard anything about this film. So I heard some good things about it, but I didn't realise I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. I know, I know it's a Lord and Miller production, and they didn't, they didn't direct it, but it definitely has the same... Because I love Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. Yeah, I love both and, of those and, and I go, it just had that same energy, <clears> had that, <throat> that same vibrant characters. It keeps your attention, but it keeps your attention for an adult and it keeps your attention for a kid. Yeah. Lots of little details for adults, I think, were absolutely brilliant. And lots of like fun, like colour and noise and explosions and everything that kids would just watch. But it's not too loud. No. If that makes sense, sometimes you get kids films and it's just screaming all the time to keep the kids' attention. This didn't have that. A great comedy as well. Oh, yeah. so fun. <laughs> with, the, with the monkey. Yeah. <laughs> the cat filter. <laughs> it was really good. Oh, I'll be telling the girls at work to go and watch it because I'm like, put your kids in front of it. They'll love it. You'll love it. You'll get like 90 minutes of them just laughing and just not trying to kill each other. It'll be great. Yeah. No, I really do recommend that one. And that's it for what's been keeping us entertained. Yeah. So we get into our show, the, the meat and taties of it all. Meat and taties. What do you want to go with first? Do you want to go with Mad Max or do you want to go with Stalker? Um... We'll do Stalker first. Right, we'll yo. leave people on a high. <laughs> so we'll start with my choice, Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker.
So yeah, first up is Stalkham, obviously my choice, 1979 Russian film from the the, the master director. I uh, do watch foreign films. I do enjoy foreign films. Russian foreign films is not a genre I had entered into before. I really did battle with should I pick this film or not, just because I know, so I know you, you don't mind watching a foreign film or, or anything with no. subtitles. But the tone of this, the pace of this, the weight and heaviness. You didn't let me let me in gently. I didn't. Not at all. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) It was like, here's a film, watch it. So yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Like I I always like a challenge, and that's what makes things interesting for me. And like not only in the actual action of watching a film, especially this film being a challenge um, for some people, but also talking about it because I am intimidated by the films of Andrei Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. I'm intimidated watching them and I'm even more intimidated talking about them and discussing them because they are so dense and they have so much, well, they leave so much to interpretation as the cat goes mental. <laughs> yes, you Cat doesn't like Tarkovsky either, but hey, let, 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 <laughs> no, he leaves so much interpretation and so much things that you can take away from the film is, is in between the lines. And you do worry sometimes that if you if you miss something or if you misinterpret something. Mm-hmm. However, we can get onto that angle of being misinterpretation because I don't think that's a thing. But the plot of Stalker is actually quite simple. But when you really burn it down, it's some years ago, something came to earth. It's not really said. Mm-hmm. It may be alien. It may be a meteor of some point, like some sort. And it creates in the film what they call the zone. Yes. Now, the zone is quickly barriered off from the government and it's illegal to go in there. Yeah. Um, however, there are these people called stalkers who illegally take individuals into the zone because there is rumoured to be a room that will grant their, a person's deepest wish. Yes. So the, the stalker takes in a person who is only called professor and one called writer mm-hmm. into the zone to go to the room. And that is generally the plot of this movie. Yeah. However, the plot of stalker is actually just a means to an end. I would say, because... I still don't understand what the end was. Well, I mean, the thing I like most about films like this is that, as I said, it hands so much off to the audience, like regarding interpretation and personal experience and that it can reveal things to you time after time. Every time you see it, you might say something different or you might read something completely different than the way you read it before it. So with that in mind, what were your experiences of this? Um, so to me, obviously you have like at the start, I mean, they're out of the zone, it's all very black and white and grey. It's very, very severe poverty. Like sepia. Yeah. Um, my main thing was, I don't know if it's the right term, but is it, is it the Foley or Foley person? I mean, the actual like, the person who does like the sound, like yeah, like like real life sound, yeah. Yeah, 
Jesus Christ, that, that literally, that water went through me. Mm. It was so sharp and so fake and so loud. Constant. Didn't like it. Found it very, very jarring. Didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was. Mm, I thought, like, why bother having a guide if you're going to ignore him? You know, the wife really superly badly overacted at the start, lying on the floor crying with no tears. Just like lying back, going, ah, that's nice. Of us. <laughs> um, the writer, I wrote it down because he kept on saying it. ABC Prime, ABC Prime, kept on saying that. He said that loads throughout the whole thing. I'm like, love, I don't know what that means. Yeah. It seems like it wasn't for you. It wasn't for me. And I don't think, like, I like the idea. Okay. I really liked the idea that they needed this stalker guy because if you didn't and you, ha- like, every, he was like, oh, there's, in everyone in the zone, it changes. You can't just go straight ahead yeah. or anything like that. I like that. I thought that was really good. I thought, oh, this could be quite interesting. There's like, you know, consequences to like not following the, the natural order in there. We saw no consequences. Mm-hmm. We didn't see anything. Um, they liked lying down in very wet places. I don't know if that's a little reason. Are you safer in water? I don't know. But they went to sleep in a stream. Yeah. Great. Um, I feel like for me, it would have been better if you had maybe a couple of other people, expendable people, you know, red top people who right. were like, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to like walk across this field and something happened. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, he was like, this, this bad stuff happens and it's all this and it's life or death. To me, there wasn't. We don't that, see anything. We don't like see that. anything. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't that urgency. To me, I just felt like, well, you could just be lying. Absolutely. So the, the, the thing is, is, like, this is why I, I think it's so smart about like how Tarkovsky made, made makes his films and made this film because it does it creates discourse and it creates discussion and what I think he does, especially in this, is that. He hangs like allegories in front of you, like like a carrot on a stick, mm-hmm. and he'll it, hang it out for you and say, "Okay, the film's about this." But then he'll hang another allegory as a carrot to the side, so you, you'll go, you'll chase one of them for a little while, and then you'll then you'll see something else, and you'll chase another, and it just makes it. It's not as simple as just telling a story. And I think when when you're talking about there is what I like regarding is he lying? Mm-hmm. Now, that is a question that is absolutely fair to ask because is he? I feel like you you could have done that in like different ways. So I think because you well, you've got like the, it's, it's a whole stereotype, isn't it? You got the writer who is the arch, the professor who is the science, you got the stalker who is very much a man of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's always saying. He's like, you've got to believe. So is he just trying to make these men try and find their faith again? Also, uh, in the zone, there was there was one skeleton. Mm-hmm. 
only one. If something crashed to Earth there, there would have been... I just feel like they they could have had... Okay, so it was a populated area, and then this thing happened. Mm-hmm. They could He could have literally been like, oh, yeah, you see that skeleton over there? He was got by the zone. He didn't listen. Could have been any old skeleton. You could have had it done in a way where we're like, had that skeleton there actually been there since, you know, just died of natural causes when the zone happened? Or there just wasn't any kind of... It's, it's, there was no kind of suspense. There was no kind of worry. It was, to me, um, three quite pretentious men wandering about. I do get that. And I think I think regarding suspense, I actually do think it's quite suspenseful. I mean, there's, there are sequences in it where when they do send the writer down that tunnel in his walking and it's sort mm-hmm. of like you have no idea what happens or what is going to happen more like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's lots of discussions of men talking about life, talking about existence, talking about would they do things differently. Mm-hmm. So it is heavy and it's sometimes very hard to digest. And I get that, but I think the film is meant to do that. And I think, again, I think, We've mentioned on different things. I think under the skin as well. Is it, I think you like an explanation. I, I do. Or don't. Do you know what? Don't give me an explanation like a nice tidy wrap up at the end. Keep it about how we've discussed. Just just tell me a little bit more about where it is they're going. I like to know so, so that way. I, so, yeah. yeah I'd, what do you think about the idea of the room? As in, this is a place you go and it'll grant you your deepest, darkest wish. Now, what I like about that idea mm-hmm. is that it's not go to the room and ask for something. No, it's just you go in and it automatically does it. Yeah, and you don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where it, it, it's like an existential look into the fear of yourself and the fear of your soul and the mystery of like the unconscious thought against conscious. And that, that I mean, that inclusion of like, you don't get to choose your wish. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I mean, the, the, I can't remember if it's the writer who says it or the professor, but they say basically that I may shout from the rooftops about, I want vegetarian, like vegetarianism. That's the one um, for the world. But, in my soul, I may want a juicy piece of meat. Yeah. And it's not knowing and the fear of, am I the person that I think I am? Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot. I, I, I like those sort of hefty things, but it's it, it, it adds that ambiguity and it allows you to put yourself in the position and analyse your own desires. Um, And when you think about it, and spoilers for a 42-year-old film here, mm-hmm. nobody goes in the room. No, I, I would have even just liked to have seen the doorway. Well, here's the thing: who who are the, who's the only person who goes in the room? The dog. It's us. The audience are the only people who actually go in the room. Did we? Because it's got a long shot of them sitting there as um, the professor's taking apart his bomb oh, and the throwing okay. pebbles into it. So it's like, what is Tarkovsky saying about that? Is our, you know what I mean? It's well, it was nearing the end, so I think I got my wish. <laughs> Do 
you know what? I, I liked how it looked. It mm. looked good. It was interesting. Like, but you, you know me. I just like, I like a couple. I don't like everything to be one big loose end. And I feel like this was one big loose end. But that's, I think that's the interpretation. I thing, yeah. like a couple of little things wrapped up. Like when I read about this, it said about how their daughter had like hair all over her face and all this. And like, was like, had no legs or something. Or I was like, well, that, that's not right because it doesn't look right. It's like, they said that there's something wrong with her or she's deformed. Like, she looks perfectly normal to me. Well, that's the thing is, and like, they do talk about that. And I quite like that, especially that's the, the big thing at the end is to talk about how children of stalkers are always going to be deformed. Mm-hmm. Now, Again, it's it's open ended to to what you want to think about it, but the only person we ever see in color outside of the zone is his daughter. Yes. So, like when they come and pick him up at the at the pub after it, you have the long shot of her, um, on on his on his shoulders, seeing it close. So she's obviously affected from the zone mm-hmm. outside, and then obviously in the final scene, we see her use some form of telekinesis. Mm-hmm. Now this is, what, what does that really mean? Is it, does it mean that maybe the stalker has somehow got his deepest, darkest wish, you know, although he says he's never been into the room? Or because the stalkers have deformed children, are they themselves the next stage of evolution? Yeah, are, are they the connecting tissue that, because of their sacrifice, without them knowing it, mm-hmm. they've got it. And I think it, even that's sort of like even a bit of a play with 2001, because that's what 2001, when you get the star child at the end, it's the next mm-hmm. next stage of human evolution. Now, what I find kind of funny about that is because Tarkovsky famously hated 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> so it might have been a little sort of FU to Kubrick. But- I, I, I just took it as like, the the zone was some kind of like radio radiation, right? And then that's why their kids are different. Maybe it affects them that way because they talk about it comes from the sky. And I was like, okay, well, maybe is it some sort of like nuclear bomb or something? Well, that's it. I think but, it's, yeah, and it's uh, so. What I like about the zone is it is it, it although we don't really see anything because it's not. It has no special effects. All you no. do see is it's a weird thing because in the zone it feels so alien but so normal at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, it is eerie because of the setting because it's, and again, it could be some metaphor regarding living in the Soviet Union at the time. It could be a, a metaphor regarding life because you can't plan yourself out a path mm-hmm. in, from A to B. You're always going to get roadblocks, you're not going to be able to get all your desires. You're not, you're not going to be able to get everything that you want. You're going to have to go underground and do dirty things and, and challenge people and things like that. But and the thing is, it, you, you spend time theorizing all these things because it gives you time to theorize it because it is a long film. Yes. And it is a very, very slow film. Yes. It's slowly paced. And that is, I think, one of the, I mean, calling it slowly paced is kind of overselling it as well because some there is a scene where they're trying to get into the zone. Mm-hmm. 
they get through the, the barricades, um, but then they get onto a little trolley. Trolley, thing. okay. On the rails. On the rails. Now, that that shot of them is four and a half minutes long. I think doesn't cut, and all it is is of the back of the heads, and all you're getting is their reaction to, the, to the th- everything around them. But this ching 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 yes. ching 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 and because it lasts for so long, it becomes a bit hypnotic and it becomes kind of like meditation in a way. You get completely engrossed in, well, in my case, you're engrossed in what you're watching because you're not really watching anything. And it's like Tchaikovsky famously said, like he uses boredom mm-hmm. in his movies because if you hold something for so long, people are going to get bored. Now, if you hold it for even longer, people get frustrated. But if you hold it for even longer, people will start to look at things and try and see something differently. Yeah. It opens it up. And especially at the end of this four and a half minutes, we get the cut. And then we're in the zone and it's in colour. So you've just got had this really long scene where it's nothing's really happened. And then when you cut to the zone, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a Wizard of Oz moment. Yeah. Yeah. How it does it. But yeah, so I really do. I love this movie so, so much. And it's, I find it so, so interesting. And again, I think where we were different is like, again, I think you, you much more plot driven and you like to be told the story. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, I don't mind having to do the digging and trying to. Are you saying I'm a lazy watcher? No, not at all. <laughs> but it's, I like the discussion. Yes. Like, I, it, it's talking about. What did I think the film was about mm-hmm. compared to what you thought the film was about? Because it might be two completely different things. And this is what I say about misinterpretation. Neither of us would be wrong. No, that's true. It's because people read things in different ways. It's like, yes, it's a existential look at life. It's 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 regarding environment. You've got images of the gulag, obviously being in Russia, and mm-hmm. um, post World War Two. But also, what I quite like, kind of like about it, and obviously, this is what people bring to it afterwards is it sort of sees the future in a bit mm-hmm. because what seven years after this were the effects of Chernobyl yes, and them actually having a zone, zone and stalkers in a way because people used to take people into the zone, into the, the, the contaminated zone and the landscape of Chernobyl after it looked very much like the landscape of the zone. Especially now, because it's now being made into like a wildlife yeah. place. Yeah, but so I, and I do, I love it. It's just the, the the impact that it leaves, and especially of that of the stalker. And like Tarkovsky was a very deeply religious man, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of him you can see in Stalker of like he lives in a godless world now, and he needs he wants people to believe, and I think that is very much at the center of of the, the stalker as a character. But yeah, it's, I didn't, it sounds really terrible now, but I didn't think you'd enjoy it, but it, it's something that now you can say you've seen. Yes. And it's something, it's a completely different sort of cinematic experience, but I will promise there'll be no more Tarkovsky films on this podcast. Well, not for a while. Solaris I might do, but. Is it shorter? Solaris is longer. Bloody. Has it got <laughs> an actual plot to it? Kind of. I mean, it's, it's, it does have an American remake with George Clooney, which is actually very, very good. 
Well, just watch that one then. <laughs> we'll see. Thanks. So yeah, Stalker, I, again, it, it's one of those that uh, I, I do kind of find it thrilling. I do love his style and the way the story is told. I think it's it's quite effective in that in that sense. But moving on. Yes. Because I have spoke for a long time. Let's get on to your pick. So we'll take a, a little short wee break. A little short wee break. And then we'll come back with Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. CS3P Combat. Player one, choose your character. Tired of film and television podcasts where the hosts exist in a blissful state of agreement? Player two, choose your character. While you're in luck. Punter. Round one, fight. Allow me to introduce you to the Chinstroker vs. Punter podcast, featuring two film and television fans from Birmingham, England, who enjoy their media in very different ways. <laughs> but anyway, that brings us to the end of the plot of Blue Velvet. The plot. I mean, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I've ever encountered in any film. So join us as we catch up on what we've been watching from our own very different perspectives. Double KO. Round two. Fight. You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. Also on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that podcasts can be found. Just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. Just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? And how exactly do we take the Citadel? Assuming we're still alive by then. If we can block the pass, it'll be easy. All that's left are his war pups. And war boys too sick to fight. And we'll be with Nux. He's a war boy. He'll be bringing us home, bringing back what's stolen as he's meant to. Feels like hope. Look, it'll be a hard day. But I guarantee you that 160 days ride that way. There's nothing but salt. At least that way, you know, we might be able to... Together. Come across some kind of redemption. So, Mad Max, Fury Road, 2015, directed by George Miller. Yes. It has 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb mm-hmm. and 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm definitely scoring higher than I did last week. You definitely. It's also won six Oscars. Yeah. For film editing, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, sound mixing, sound editing and production design. Yeah. So it's up there. It's acclaimed. It's very acclaimed. It's got Tom Hardy, Charlie Theron, Nicholas Holt, um, Hugh Keys Byrne, and I had not watched this one before. Yeah. It had been on my list to watch it. You got very excited. I did. When you, when you yeah. picked this, it came out of the blue and I was like, all right, okay. I really, um, so for anybody who hasn't seen the film, it is obviously, it's Mad Max, first immortalised by... Um, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Um, brought back. Sort of a reboot. Sort to, of a to, reboot. Yeah. Uh, with Tom Hardy as Max. Um, and we're basically following him and Charlie Theron, who plays... 
Imperator Furiosa to save um, Immortant Joe's wives, wives pregnant wives, um, to get them somewhere safe, get them away from him. Um, for anybody who, actually, you know what? Any, everybody has seen, everybody has seen clips, pictures, the Simpsons of the original Mad Max. It's crazy cars, crazy costumes, crazy people in a post-apocalyptic world. Yep. And this has stuck to that formula because it is a good formula. But what really stood out to me was how it was shot. I loved the landscape we filmed in Australia, but it looked, it looks otherworldly. Oh, absolutely. Um, what I like about it is being a lot of the times when it's like a post-apocalyptic and of course Stalker was like this, there's like abandoned buildings and there's this, there's not really anything like that in Mad Max. Everything has been built from what was there previously. So the original buildings are no longer left standing. Everything's been taken from scrap. So it is like a new world. It's, for me, it's the sparseness of it. All. Like, it, it, there's nothing. It's like, there it, isn't. Especially when they're out on the road. It, the sparseness of the, the environment is, it takes a little bit of getting used to. It really does. And I, I think that's what I kind of liked about it. Um, it's not a case of like building a new world on the ruins of another and trying not to leave the old world behind. This one has no old world. It's like, this is your life and you have to live in the present and just yeah. hope that you survive. Um, I love the line, do not become addicted to water, that Immortant Joe sort of says. My, my favourite character was Nicholas Holt. Yeah. I thought he was so funny in this. I really, really liked him. I thought he was, he plays Knox. I thought he was great. Um, just because I think previously to this, I'd seen him in like quite teen friendly sort of things. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's completely against character. Completely against character. And I just thought it was such a good and like interesting character for him to play. I kind of wish there is, there's, I, no, I don't know because I don't know if there's comics or books or anything. I would have loved to have known a little bit more about the world, but we've already sort of discussed that in the last film. I like answers. I like to know who, what, where, and why. Yeah. For what really, really stuck out to me um, is, like I said, the style of it, the colour scheme, the lighting. Um, a couple of things that I read was when they're shooting the night scenes, they were shooting them actually in the middle of the day and then using different filters and saturation to give the whole feel of it. And when you do watch it, the nighttime, it's the, the, the blue that they make, it's so cold. Mm. Really makes you feel like that. that is what a desert would be like. It would be so incredibly cold at night. Um, my absolute most favourite scene out of the whole thing was um, when uh, they were... Just alone in the middle of the desert, they weren't being chased anymore. And it was um Furiosa like screaming yeah. into the sand. Not because I thought Charlie Theron was acting any 
more amazingly or the characters are more compelling. It was the shot. It was the way that the wind was moving across the sand. It looked so gentle and so peaceful. And then there's just this sheer anger and pain happening um, from the main character. So yeah, my, my favorite character, Knox, loved his growth. I didn't like Max. Max is a bit of a different one, isn't it? Because... He could have been anybody else um, in the film. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think this is why I, I enjoy it because it's called Mad Max, but it really is Furiosa's movie. Oh, definitely. And, a times. I mean, Max doesn't really even say anything until he is the... He's the tool that gets us into the plot and gets us into whatever. Now, I mm-hmm. actually do I quite like Tom Hardy's performance. I mean, he mumbles a lot. and He does the annoying Bane voice. Well, yeah, but I think, I mean, I think I actually do believe that he had to go and redub him quite a lot because he just, you couldn't really understand what he was saying. Oh, okay. Um, but that's it. It's, it's, it's not Max's movie. No, it's not. It is completely Furiosa and, and The Brides. I kind of like the idea of people going to go see it and thinking that it was going to be like all full Mad Max, Mel Gibson style. And then being like, this has got like, you could literally change Mad Max for pretty much anybody else who gets into trouble. Well, that's it. I mean, it's Mad Max only because, I mean, Max is in it, but it's, it's just, it's that world, it's that mm-hmm. style, it, it's that continuation. But like for me, it's, from the get-go, and you've talked about the style, but it, it really does overpower you mm-hmm. with its style, its visuals, the cutting, the way it deals with speed within the frame. Yes. You have no idea what you've got yourself into at that beginning. You've got speed ramps, you've got slow, you've got, I mean, it it throws you into a world like it's like it's a washing machine. You, you're just tumbling around trying to catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just injected with like pure adrenaline, and a film. It sounds so reductive, but a film can gain points for just being cool. Yes, and this is one of those movies. It's just cool, and it gives you that spectacular experience. Um, the the whole film is so kinetic, and it never really feels like it ever stops moving. And, and given that the entire film is pretty much one long chase scene, mm-hmm. that's the whole reasoning behind it. But it does, it's, not, it's not boring. It's not the no. same kind of chase Absolutely scene not. over. Um, I did read a very interesting thing about George Miller. So I said earlier about how um, one of the Oscars it won, won was uh, film editing. Mm-hmm. And the person who did that is Margaret Sixell, who is George Miller's wife. And he got her to edit this film because he said, if a man did it, it would look like any other action film. He wanted a new perspective. And I get where you're coming from. Like I was watching this and I just, I did feel like it was, I think subconsciously, like it was edited differently. Yes, there's the high chases and the explosions and the pretty girls and everything else. But I don't know. It wasn't. I feel like the explosions weren't just there for explosions sake, which I think is what 
can very easily fall into in an action film. Very, very easy. They, the way everything was written, the way it was edited, it seemed more... It, it's, it's like a dance. Yes. The, the action is like a dance. And that's one of, one of the things is like, the action sequences, what I love about them is that every single time, and not even like sub, uh, set piece after set piece, I mean, I'm talking about even within the same set piece, it like mm-hmm. has to up the ante. Something crazy happens, then it has to do something even more crazy. Mm-hmm. And he, that building on top and just building just the sheer bonkersness of the entire thing. Because it is Cirque du Soleil people that's and it. You, all you, kinds you, of stuff. You've got a guy hanging from loads of speakers with a flame through a guitar. Right. It is pure visuals, and I say it's it's exhausting, but in the best way possible. Yeah, it's like you've ran alongside it yeah. and witnessed it. And that's it. It's like it's as you said, it's superb world building. It sets the scene so well. It's simple. Character design is great. Vehicle design is great. The mm-hmm. environment that it it just grabs your senses and drags you along. Just just how vibrant the colors are. Just how blue the sky is and how like orange yellow the sand. Is. It's such a slice of the frame. I think as well. Like you see, you think of post apocalyptic. It is. It's dark and it's miserable and it's awful and depressing. And this world is. It's depressing and it's hard, and but it's set in a beautiful part of the world. Yeah. There is always beauty within it in some way. Um, one thing that I did read, and I found this really funny, so the spray that they put on their teeth, the mm-hmm. silver spray, is, most people you know, it's like um, from cake decorating. Right, right, right. And they got it from a specific supplier, and that supplier is like listed and the thing. When people found out, they um, loads of fans of the films went on and actually left reviews to the cake shop as characters from Mad Max, <laughs> just saying about how it was so good and all this. And I just liked, I, I just think it, all parts of it were imaginative. It was different. It was fun. I love that. I'm like a child. Give me bright colors. I'll be there all day, every day. Honestly, and this is exactly what it gave me. Because it, 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 it's 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 so different than anything really action-wise out there. And that is what I think, because it's not, it was a financial success and a critical success. Yes. People love this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, again, you, you go to the cinema and you go for an experience. And the thing is, yes, going to film should be a story. Mm-hmm. But it should also try and give you a visual and audio experience as well. And this is just delivers like the trifecta. It has it all. And I love it. And it's like it's, the story is quite simple and when you do boil it down. But it's what it's the, the sort of the stuff going on behind the scenes. It, it's talking about women's role in action movies, yes, women's role in society, about trying to claim back their identity over the, the the masculine reign of, mm-hmm. of Immortan Joe. And it's like just even the design of Immortan Joe and just how... Because he was the original guy. He played, he played like a different character, but he was in the original See, I can't, Mad I, Max I, I'm films. not a big Mad Max fan. I actually don't like the original Mad Max movies. I'm sure that he is in the original films, but he's got a different name. 
and they brought him back for this because I want to. I feel like the character design was quite similar. So yeah, I can't remember. So I, it's been a long time since I watched Mad Max, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not a huge fan of, of that or Road Warrior. But like, it's been a long time since Beyond the Thunderdome, and what is really fun about this is that it just it feels like it's full of every idea George Miller has had in mm-hmm. the, the time between Mad Max 3 and this Mad Max. It it feels like it's, it's got so much jammed into it. And sometimes it, that doesn't work. Sometimes that makes a film messy. But yeah. there's always exceptions to the rule. And I think this is one of them. Because, mm-hmm. yes, there's loads of stuff going on. But... It just hits, and it's one of those yeah. things where you do. You didn't really, I didn't really expect it to hit as well as it did, but it really, really does. It's such an experience, and so watching it at home. But when I saw this on the big screen, it was a shock to the senses. <laughs> but yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a good film. Good, good, and I think that's probably going to be it for this week. That is us. Yes, we'll be back next week with another topic. Not quite sure yet, but... Haven't decided. No, but as, as always, we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate, so you can go over to those for... You can go over to wearepodsyndicate.com, check out all the other great shows. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll be back sooner rather than later. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.